0: Hey, my name is Rachel Middleton, and on behalf of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network, welcome. We enjoy talking with people from many different walks of life about how they lead others through their influence and how they influence others through their leadership.
1: We hope you'll enjoy it too. Are you ready? Let's get started. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. My name is Rick Shields, I'm your host and the director of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network. On this episode, I'm joined by my longtime friend, Steve Glenn, who has a life story to tell that I hope most of us will never replicate. But it's the very story that led him to develop CFO Logistics, a consulting practice that provides CFO-level services to small businesses and gives them a better platform to stand on while competing with larger companies. Thanks for joining me, Steve, on this important episode about Marketplace Ministry.
0: I can't tell you how glad I am you asked me, and I am very, very grateful for your friendship and the fact that this part of your life ministry has given me an opportunity to share part of my story with you and others. Mm -hmm. Thanks, buddy.
1: I look forward to this. Steve, the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network is founded on this premise— that influence is an expression of healthy leadership, and leadership is best measured by its influence. When we began this network in 2020, we realized that there are many more people called to do ministry than only those who have attended the Bible school or who have some kind of seminary or, or ministry training. We believe God has given ministry gifts for use in all areas of our society and our culture, and they're not to be restricted to only when we gather in a church or or in a time of Christian fellowship, so this concept then of marketplace ministry is important to you. Let's begin by me asking you to define what do you see as marketplace ministry. I asked the question of myself,
0: "What is a minister in the marketplace?" Because I wanted to have a definition that I could hold my hat onto, and I've had this definition for a while. And how I answered that was this: It's a man or woman whose primary identity is one of surrender to and dependence on. Christ leadership in their entire life, personal and professional.
1: So do you consider yourself a minister in the marketplace?
0: I do. I think that is my primary identity. It's the reason why I have been called to do not only what I'm doing today, but what, I, what I've what i been prepared to do and been been being prepared to do all of my life, Rick. You serve as a business consultant. Is that correct? Cepal Logistics is a company that uh, I created in 2013, I think the very purpose for which was to provide CFO level services for small businesses that could not afford that kind of a player in their business. And the very purpose of it is to provide high level consulting services that, that give the recipient of those services a leg up in their marketplace.
1: So how, serving then as a business consultant and as a marketplace minister, how has it changed how you see your role in a consulting capacity with your clients? Well, that's a question that I have uh, thought
0: through a lot because I had to. I grew up in an environment when I was in my early 20s. I went to work for an international consulting firm called Arthur Anderson and Company after I got my MBA from Borough Roberts University. And I worked for a bank for a year prior to that. I walked into an environment where everybody around me were the smartest people in the room all the time. And of course, I was very intimidated because I clearly didn't think I was one of those. But I did have a job there, and they were paying me, and I felt like, well, this is an opportunity. So I got I got surrounded by people who were traditionally uh, better placed, better organized, better prepared, better educated in, than than those around them. And that was the purpose for having uh, Arthur Anderson in their businesses was to provide that level of capability. Well, I got confused. I knew that when I went to Oral Roberts University that I really believed in the mission, which was to go into every man's world with the message of the gospel. I believed that big picture, but I had absolutely no idea what that meant, no clear understanding of what that would look like in business. And frankly, when I got into the business world, I didn't see how it could possibly be an environment other than shared testimony from time to time where a ministry could develop or be Uh, or be possible. Um, So therefore, I didn't exercise any of those gifts as a minister because I didn't know they existed, and I wouldn't have known
1: how to do it for much of my early consulting career. Let me get this straight. We're both graduates of Oral Roberts University, and one of the foundational things we heard from our president, Oral Roberts, was that he was to raise up his students to hear God's voice, to go where God's light is them, where his voice is heard small and where his healing power is not known even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And at graduation, we were commissioned with that very mandate, sent out into every man's world, and here you are in a business setting, and and you know this is what you've been sent to do, and you just can't do it.
0: Absolutely could not ever make sense of that for years. I would share my testimony. I would... I lived the best kind of life that I could. I clearly didn't engage in a lot of the social behaviors that my peers did. I would find myself having conversations with one of the partners about why so many of the consultants' marriages were ending because they were on the road and they were lonely. And Arthur Anderson was the reason why they were lonely, because Arthur Anderson forced them to work away from home. Yeah, 28 years old, having this conversation with a managing partner of one of the largest consulting firms in the world. So I had an idea that the world was supposed to be different and that I was supposed to do something in it, but beyond what I just described and that kind of thing where I could share my testimony and maybe even be, exhort people around me, my peers and others to, to see, maybe choose to see their life differently. Frankly, it was testimonial and I don't think it was very powerful at all, but I don't know that either. What I do know is that I didn't feel much like a minister, Rick. And I'd never, I would never, ever have called myself that. And the more my the longer my career went on, the more that became reality for me.
1: Steve, as a consultant with CFO Logistics, the organization that you founded, how has that changed the way you see your primary goals for your clients?
0: Well, frankly, that's a really good question. And I want to come back to how that company was founded, Rick, and why it was founded, because that conversation is critical to filling in the blanks about the answer to the question you just asked. But when I walk into a client situation, I'm looking for two things. My first job is to do what I've always done, find out where the business problems are. I've been trained by some of the best on the planet to look for abnormalities in balance sheets and income statements. Uh, I'm an expert at data analysis, and I'm an expert in the arena of uh, cost accounting. I know how to look at numbers without having much effort and see trends, patterns, abnormalities, and problems. And my first approach then is to meet with those people, Rick, and and share my numbers. And what I tell them in a detailed fashion, number-driven fashion, uh, they already know intuitively. They don't understand the depths of what my numbers mean or how that impacts what they should or shouldn't do but my numbers put a coat on or clothes on the feeling that they've had about their company. So that's the very first thing. But today in, in the world I've lived in since 2013, my entire focus has become one of listening to God's voice about what's going on in the heart of the man. that I'm sure, because my clients always start with the CEOs. I don't, that's who they are. I may deal with other people in the organization and I do of course, but they start with the CEO In truth. Every problem that starts in a company starts with the CEO. Absolutely every single one in all kinds of different reasons. And we could talk about that for a long, long time. But at the end of the day, I want to know what's driving him. I want to know what his passion is, his purpose is, his philosophy is. And in almost every case that I've, well, virtually in every case, I have to say in every case where my client, where I've done this analysis I discussed with you, I've seen a void. Uh, in the life of my clients have, that has a spiritual bearing, they don't know who they don't know who God is altogether. They don't know who Christ is, or they have some some religious understanding. They are not articulate about their own emotions and their own fears often, and so therefore they're by and large they're they were good business people. They probably still are in many cases, but they're somewhat barren in their ability to see the big picture of their life, the problems that their life and their attitudes and their philosophies have created in their business. My first goal is after I understand what the numbers say, is to start understanding the man that's created the numbers and what's going on in his heart, how he got there, why he got there, how he thinks about himself, how he thinks about others. Those questions become the basis of all of my work with that man. And therefore, through the company, almost until the day I leave.
1: Now, did that begin when you started CFO logistics, or was there a process that took place that began to change that and open that up, make that more important to this whole process?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would, you being the friend of mine for many years that you are, I'd love to say, Rick, I've known this my whole life. And dang, I've been good at it forever, buddy. I, it's just awesome. I, I've just grown in it, grown in it, but no, that's a lie. <laughs> I cannot tell you that. Here's how it happened effectively. CFL Logistics was born literally the year that I got out of prison. So the prison story kind of goes like this. In uh, 2008, January, I met with a pastor friend of mine who happened to be a PhD and a teacher at ORU. And he'd flown to Tulsa to have a conversation with me, Rick. And he says, Steve, I never do this, but I just have something on my heart I got to share with you. And what he told me, and and remember, a little context. When he met with me, I was still operating four companies that, that ultimately uh, dissolved. All of them were up to that point in time or close. Very successful companies in Tulsa. We generated as companies a billion dollars in, in the real estate transactions uh, over a 10-year period. So we, weren't, we were not shabby. But here's what he told me. He said, Steve, these are the things that I've written down on a card. He put these on the back of his business card, his his, uh, ORU teacher business card. I will be your habitation. These are words that my friend Dan is telling me. He heard God speak to his heart about me for my benefit. I will be your habitation. You will reap where you have not planted. You will receive more than you have asked. You will prosper in chaos. I was overwhelmed by this and had absolutely no idea why he was telling me this or what it meant. But literally, almost to the day, one month later, the world ended as we knew it financially. Bear Stearns collapsed. Uh, 60 days after that, Lehman Brothers collapsed. The entire financial world died. And the financial world at that time was driven by the kinds of work that I did uh, and my companies did real estate finance real estate acquisition real estate development most of it driven by money and it all collapsed uh, to the point of almost undoing the united states altogether as everyone now knows so consequently my little companies in tulsa oklahoma were uh, at the leading edge of that whole process because we were actively engaged in loaning money to people so they could develop real estate. We were actively engaged in loaning people, loaning money to people who wanted to buy real estate. And I had developed a system whereby we loaned our own money that I borrowed from banks and guaranteed personally. And when the collapse happened, a lot of people came to me with keys in their hand and said, sorry, I can't sell my property and I can't make the payments, they're your problem. And now I had to go back to my bankers and say, well, my clients have abandoned me and I am now your problem. And I couldn't do that, Rick. I didn't have the character or the, the strength to own that problem. And so I tried to hide it. In hiding it, Rick, I created several felony actions, essentially. Four years later, in 2012, I pled guilty to one count of wire fraud and one count of some other fraud. I, I It's written down somewhere. I don't remember exactly what. And I was, uh, I pled guilty and I was sentenced to six months in a federal prison. What happened to me at that moment, my whole life was shaped and and undone in a way that I could never have imagined that every, all of my credibility and the marketplace was gone. My licensing was gone. I had nothing that I could, I could stand on. But when I got to prison and I showed up at the, at the gate to, to be admitted, Rick, two things happened there. One, the guard who was admitting me looked at my folder and said, uh, and pardon what I'm about to say, it's his words, not mine. He says, You know, you must have really pissed somebody off to get here. (laughs) That was the first time I had an idea that maybe there was more to my more to my sentencing and my disposition than I had understood. And maybe it was more about something other than Just the crimes I committed. Didn't know that for sure, but it's what I thought. Well, the next major thing that happened, and I'm about to end this part of the story, was I walked into a a 12 by 24 room that was 12 feet high and had a 12 foot door with a small window. And I was the only one in there because uh, the guard who took me into that room while I was waiting to have papers processed said, you need to be in here alone because there's 25 guys down at the other end of this hall that you shouldn't be in this room with. So I was alone by myself in a room in the middle of Leavenworth Federal Prison. And at that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart uh, as I thought about my life and my mistakes and how I got there. And Rick, this changed my life forever. And it began the conversation that we're having about being a minister in the marketplace, because I had to come to grips with the reality that I was not capable of standing on my own and that my goodness, no matter how hard I worked at, it was never going to be good enough. So how I came to that understanding was sitting on the bench by myself. And I had a memory of my uh, junior high school uh, algebra teacher. And I remember when he said to all of us one day, I'm at a grade on a curve here because all of you are doing so badly that if I didn't, half of you would fail. I don't know if I was in the half that would fail, but I was sure happy when I understood that I could go from a C to a B. That was awesome. I thought this is a cool thing. Well, Rick... What God said to me in my heart, very clearly, and it began to change my life forever. He says, Steve, I don't grade on a curve. There is no curve. You're guilty as charged. You're guilty before you ever took action. I had never come to grips with that, Rick. I'd never come to grips with the fact that I was completely destitute, no matter how hard I tried not to be, that I could never measure up to whatever element of performance I had defined for myself. Well, I left prison that day and I walked to the the area where you come into that prison, the big prison. I walked down to where I was going to stay, driven down there actually, and I began to meet men who were much more destroyed emotionally than I was. And I began to see with compassion the brokenness in their lives, and I could relate to it because I knew exactly how broken I was. And most of the men I met, many of them, not all of them, but many of them were business people who were failures at one level or another, like me, lawyers, doctors, business people of all stripes, and they all had common stories. And I began a process of ministering to business people there out of my own brokenness, out of my own woundedness, and not out of my strength, which, of course, gave God the opportunity he needed to begin to heal some other lives besides mine. So fast forward, I'm out of prison, Thanksgiving of 2012. I formed CFO Logistics in 2013. And I had a client assignment referred to me by another friend uh, within six months at a construction company where there was a $300 million lawsuit going on, impending bankruptcy. And they asked me to help them resolve the problems that were there. And that's how and where CFO Logistics was born. And the president was a man, very much like I described at the beginning of this conversation, whose life was. The best that he knew how to make it, but it was a life built up on inadequate foundation, a lack of knowledge of God's true grace and love for him personally, and inability to see his actions on the lives of others. So we began a process of doing what we could to save him, save that business. And that's where I began the process of learning all the things that I'm sharing with you now. So being a minister in the marketplace was born out of the greatest failure of my life. And it was there that I understood that I would never and could never and must never walk into any business opportunity ever without understanding absolutely with complete clarity that my purpose there was to hear the voice of God and understand what his purpose was in the life of the man that I was serving or the company that I was assisting that is how my life changed rick and it could not have changed without this enormous failure that i've just shared with you
1: thank you for being vulnerable with us steve i really do appreciate that i know it isn't easy yet it's an important part of your story and that leads me to this final question has it been difficult to integrate ministry with the professional services you provide
0: it has been difficult, not in the delivery of the professional services, Rick, because that's my, that's been my whole life in terms of the technical professional side. But what's been difficult is how to deliver those services without the forced objectivity that I would have brought to it in all of the years prior when I worked for Arthur Anderson and Pete Marwick and then on my own. There's a forced objectivity that consultants bring to any engagement that basically leaves the emotional and spiritual implications of the problems that that they're dealing with to another person at another time. I recognize that God's calling on my life is to be a conduit for his conversation with that executive. And so I'm constantly trying to evaluate that executive's ability to hear, that executive's ability to process, that executive's ability to believe and trust in the in the non-technical conversation that I'm having with him. And I have to do all of that, honestly, in the context of well, I got to get paid too. So how do I balance getting paid and getting compensated with ministry that is so that is so easily potentially misconstrued by anybody? And while trying to deliver fairly complex technical solutions to a company that has not embraced them, or they wouldn't be in the trouble that they're in. How do you do all of that? Truth, I'm still learning how to do that. I don't have a good answer that allows me to articulate it's a one, two, three process. It's not. I seem to learn something new every day from every client. And the actuality is, I got to get up every morning and I got to be clearly surrendered in my heart to the Lord's guidance, because I clearly can't do this, Rick. I know I'm a minister. I know I'm empowered by the Spirit of God to carry out His work. I also know that I'm a man with really substantial clay feet, and that without His ability to lead me and guide me and strengthen me and provide information to me that I would otherwise not have, I can't do this. So, it's not easy, but it is what I'm called to do, and I'm grateful to be in a position to do it at this point in my life.
1: I hope you enjoyed our podcast, and I hope that you'll join us on future episodes. Please follow us or subscribe so you can be notified when new podcasts are released. Until next time, this is Rick Shields, and on behalf of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network, this is my prayer for you. May you have rest when you need it, strength when you want it, and joy when you least expect it. Until next time, may the Lord bless you as you follow after Him. Thanks for listening.